You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. This is Chuba Sapoiskin, and I have the very great honor uh, to introduce to our uh, Shiorim, and hopefully the first that will be of, of many times, um, a new Rav in my community, uh, in the, the, the congregation Base Hillel, uh, in Union, New Jersey, formerly known as the Elmora Hills Synagogue. Uh, and I, I am so pleased to have made the acquaintance in the last couple of months of Shia Winniars, who agreed cold to come and give the shear almost right away. And that to me is already uh, a sign that we're talking about a Margaret Steyer and an Oyhev Steyer. I didn't have to convince, I didn't have to push too too much for him to come and step forward. And thank you so much for doing that. A, a musmach uh, from Rav Moshe Heinemann, my Rebbe uh, as well. Um, and uh, he has Yodin Yodin from Yeshiva's Kofetz Chaim. And it seems like Rav Winiars is also a Talmud of my good Chaver, who I learned together in the mirror with, Rav Yitzchak Berkowitz, who is uh, uh, very well known as one of the uh, really Manhige Hador, especially for Americans today who are living in Eretz Yisrael. Uh, Rav Winiars is a, is a shoichet, a moyo, and Baruch Hashem, as he's going to show you today, also is Yad, is Mpsak Aloche. And so I want to share with you some very exciting material. As Rabbi Kivalevich said, I enjoy learning halacha and psak, and your day is something that's fascinating. It's, it's delicious, for lack of a better word, even the bust of a follow part, which you're not allowed to eat. And I just want to share with you that when I went for one of my smicha b'chinas to Rav Moshe Heinemann, he asked us a question on the bust of a test, which seemed to have absolutely nothing to do with bust of a it seemed like it would have absolutely no connection, and he found a way. He showed us how it was connected. I mentioned the idea to Rai Kivalevich, and he said that it's actually a chiddush from Rav Zalman Nechemya Goldberg, so I wanted to share with you that particular piece. The question that Rav Heinemann asked us was as follows. We know that nowadays we have all sorts of technologies to enable children to be born in situations which they otherwise would not be able to be born. Let's say you have a mother, who's able to conceive a child, and she's able to carry the child for a number of months. But for whatever medical reason, this lady is not capable of giving birth to the child. And therefore they take the child and they transfer the baby, the fetus, into a host mother, a surrogate mother. Who has the halachic status as the mother? Is it the egg mother, if you want to call it that, the one who conceived the baby? and the baby is in her egg, or is the mother the one who gave birth to the child? You'll ask, why does it make a difference? There are all sorts of reasons. We call them nafkaminas. There are all sorts of nafkaminas in halacha, reasons why this is an important question. This could come up, let's say, with regard to Pidyon Ben. A woman has to redeem her firstborn child, if it's a boy, and if she's not from a Kohen or Levi family. Let's say the egg mother is from a Levi family or from a Kohen family. And the birth mother is not from a Kohen or Levi family. Does the child get a Pidyon Aben? Or let's say the child wants to know, can I marry the other child of one of these two women? Can this child marry the other child of the egg mother? Or is that his sister? Can he marry the, the other daughter of the birth mother? Or is that his sister? Or is he not related? 
Or if you want to ask it even more radically, let's say the egg mother is Jewish and the surrogate mother is not Jewish. Is this baby Jewish or not? Does he have a Jewish mother? The question is, who is the mother? It's a fantastic question. And this is what Rav Heinemann asked us on our Basar Befollow test. And he looked at us with a very straight face. And he said, I thought you learned Hilchas Basavacholov. If you learned Hilchas Basavacholov, you should be able to answer this question. Naturally, we were not able to answer it. And he pointed us in the direction of a Rabbi Kiva Eger, which we find in Simon Pei Zayin and Hilchas Basavacholov. And even though we might not get to a very definitive conclusion in our time, the short time that we have, it's very beneficial to just see and get that chizuk that everything is in the Torah. As we develop the technologies, we have to know how to pass them regarding these technologies, and the answer is always found somewhere in the Torah, if only you could find it. Cholov trefa, milk that comes from an animal which is a trefa. What is a trefa? A trefa is an animal which has a mortal defect, which means that it will not live out the year. This animal is not able to survive for another year, and that is a status that makes the animal not permissible to be eaten. And so the halacha is that it, it, that it is not considered something that's motor to eat. Now, the question is, what about the milk that comes out of this trefa, the milk that comes out of this animal? Is the milk that comes out of a trefa of milk, or is it milchik milk? Is it dairy, or is it parv? What type of question is that? So let's explain some background. The Pasuk in the Torah says, You're not allowed to cook meat with Chalav imo, milk that comes out of mother. And so the Gemara says, why does the Torah have to say the word imo? Milk of a mother. Why doesn't the Pasuk simply say, you cannot cook meat with milk? So the Gemara answers that the truth is, some milk can be cooked with meat. Some milk is parv. The only milk that the Torah considers to be milchik, dairy, is milk that comes out of a creature that is capable of being a mother. The Gemara calls it Ru'yalios Ain. If an animal is able to be a mother, then that animal produces dairy milk. If the animal is not capable of being a mother, then the milk it produces is power of milk. And so Rabbi Kivaker says that when it comes to a trefa, a trefa is an animal that we know, we have a Masoro, the Chazal knew the science is that a trefa cannot conceive a child and then give birth to that child. Technically, a trefa can conceive a child. An animal with a mortal defect is able to become pregnant, but it's not capable of taking that newly conceived baby and giving birth to it. If that's the case, then perhaps you can say that that animal is not able to bear that child. It cannot be the mother of that child. And therefore, one can suggest, Rabbi Kivager says in the context of Basar V'chalav, that the milk that that animal produces is parv. It's not considered milchiks. So, Rabbi Zalman draws out from this suggestion of Rabbi Kivager that when you're discussing a surrogate mother and you want to know, is the surrogate mother the mother of the baby or is the egg mother the mother of the baby? Look at the discussion in Basar V'chalav regarding Chalav Trefa. We see that the milk that comes out of a trefa is not considered milchix, Rabbi Kivager has suggested. And if it's not milchix, that's because it's not called a mother. Well, why is it not called a mother? It is capable of being pregnant with the baby. 
it is capable of being of conceiving the baby. It's capable of being the egg mother of the baby, but what is it not capable of? This trefa is not capable of taking that newly conceived baby and giving birth to it. If so, the fact that Rabbi Kivayer would suggest that if it can't give birth, you can't call it the mother with regard to milchik milk or parv milk. Similarly, one can say that if a woman is able to conceive a baby, but she's not able to give birth to the baby, then that would make it that she cannot be called the mother. The birth mother is the mother. Only one who can give birth is the mother. But simply being able to carry the baby and to be pregnant with the baby, that would not be sufficient. So as of now, that would be the resolution to our Shaila about surrogate mothers. Who's the mother? The answer is the birth mother. In spite of the fact that the trick is not capable of giving birth, it must mean that giving birth is not a prerequisite. Thank you for the correction. It must be that giving birth is not a prerequisite for parenthood. It must be that pregnancy is sufficient to give the name of parenthood. And therefore, the egg mother would be the mother in the surrogate mother case. So we would draw that parallel and say that Trefa's milk being milchiks would equal the assumption that the egg mother gets the name of parenthood, even though she cannot give birth. So if the egg mother was Jewish and the surrogate mother was not Jewish, which is often the case in the real world, those who are offering, they sign up on these registries to be a surrogate mother. They're often not Jewish. And they're doing it for either a fee or for whatever which purpose. Even though the birth mother is not Jewish, the child still would be Jewish because you don't need to give birth to have the name of parenthood. Right. Carrying the egg would be sufficient. There would be the mother if you would say that the milk of the trefa is milchiks because you don't look at the birth. You look at the fact that earlier on it could hold the baby. Right. Can, However, I ask a, can I ask a quick, quick question? Yes, please. As far as the, the, the egg mother, is, is, is is, is she being artificially inseminated? So she's actually getting pregnant? Well, we're she, dealing she, with the assumption that whether it's artificial or through intercourse, the point is that it would be her egg. It came from her egg, whether it happened in the lab or internalized. Right. Whether it was go. fertilized inside or outside, either way, it would be that it's her egg, and therefore she would have that possibility. So Rehukivayger continues, and he, and he says, let's flip. Perhaps we could bring a riot from the Gemara and Sanhedrin. The Gemara and Ben Sora Mora. For those who have learned the Gemara's in Sanhedrin about Ben Mora, we see that there's only a three-month window during which it's possible for a boy to become what the Torah calls a Ben Mora, from when he turns 13 until he's 13 in three months. So the Gemara says, why is that the only possibility? Before he's 13, he's not by mitzvah. Before he's 13, he's not held accountable for his actions. Once he's 13, he's accountable and he's able to become a Ben Mora. But once he turns 13 and three months, it's too late for him to be called what the Torah terms a ben, a son. Because after three months, after his bar mitzvah, he's capable of being called an av. He's able to be called a father. How is that possible? How could a boy be a father three months after his bar mitzvah? A child, somebody who's under bar mitzvah, is not capable of impregnating anybody. So the Gemara says, it's true. When he's a katan, he cannot impregnate anybody. However, it's possible on the first day of his bar mitzvah, on the first day after his bar mitzvah, that he would impregnate somebody. Three months later, the woman that he would impregnate would reach the stage of hukar ubra. The child will be recognizable. We know that until the first trimester is over, it's not considered visible. Even if a woman starts growing a slight bit after she becomes pregnant, it's not considered a significant showing until after three months. After three months, at that point, hukar ubra, 
he's no longer called a ben, he's called an av, he's called a father. And therefore, you can't give him the term ben sora he's no longer a ben, he's no longer a son, he's, he's an av. Even if, even if he didn't actually impregnate any lady on the first day after his bar mitzvah. The point is that he's roi lios av, he's capable, in theory, if he wants to, of becoming an av three months after his bar mitzvah. And therefore, he cannot be a ben sora three months after his bar mitzvah. Only for those three months does he have that possibility of becoming a ben sora Rabbi Kivager says, you can show from here, from this Gemara and Sanhedrin, at three months after his bar mitzvah, the baby's not born yet. The baby's merely inside. The baby is a fetus. It's in the egg, but it hasn't yet been born. And yet the Gemara says that he would be considered an av. The Gemara is saying that we would give him that title of being a parent. He would be considered a parent even though the baby's not born, even though the baby's merely inside. And that's enough to give the shame parenthood, the name of parenthood on him. If so, let's talk about milfix and flashics. A trefa, a trefa is, you're able to say that that, that trefa is able to carry a baby. It's true, it can't give birth to that baby, but it's able to carry it. And so if it's able to carry it, then give it the name of a mother. That trefa can be called a mother. If so, the milk of the trefa is milchiks because of the fact that this animal is able to carry it. Just like the bensora mora, you're able to call him an av. As long as the baby is being carried, even if the baby is not actually born, so too with regard to a trefa, it's able to carry it. It's able to conceive it. It's just not able to give birth to it. And so therefore you can't call it a royalist aim. You could call this mother, this trefa, capable of being called a mother. And therefore her milk is milchiks. And if that's the case, we could draw it with Zaman Nechem, they draw out from here, that in this case, you would assume that the egg mother is capable of being called a mother because of the fact that she's able to hold on to the baby. You're right, she can't give birth to the baby. But we could say that the mother of a fetus is considered the mother. The egg mother is able to be considered the mother. So you, you, you have a riot from the Gemara and Sanhedrin that you could follow the egg mother. The trefa's milk is not milfix. Maybe really the trefa's milk is actually parved. I, what do you do with the Gemara and Sanhedrin? So Rebekah says, maybe the only reason why the Gemara and Sanhedrin is suggesting that this boy is capable of being called a parent, he's a father after three months, is because we're dealing with the presumption that the baby will be born eventually. Most babies that are in a womb eventually are born. I mean, Lee Vali, that's right, Kivalevich is pointing to in the words of Rebekah and This child, we're presuming that that this baby is going to be born. And therefore, it's almost like uh, we could superimpose the future onto the present. Since we look ahead, we're, if you want to use a pun, we're Raya Sanoilo. We're seeing that this child is probably, presumably going to be born. And therefore, we say, since it's probably going to be born, it's right now already, he's considered a father. The father of a baby who's in embryo, in utero, is already considered a father. And therefore, he cannot be called a Ben Mora. As opposed to when it comes to a Trefa, a trefa is not oimedli valid. Perhaps you cannot say that the milk that comes out of a trefa is milchiks because the trefa is not called a mother. Oh, but the trefa is able to hold on to a baby. It's true the trefa can hold on to a baby, but it's not oimedli valid. It's not presumably going to give birth. As a matter of fact, it's not capable of giving birth. It's not able to eventually give birth to the child. And therefore, you could draw a distinction between the Gemara and Sanhedrin and the question of the call of trefa. Just because of the fact that the Gemara Sanhedrin says that we allow the present pregnancy to give parent status, 
doesn't mean with regard to Basavacholov that we would say that the present pregnancy can give parent status. They're not comparable cases. Because in one case, the child presumably going to be born, in the other case, the child not going to be born. So you can't draw a comparison. So Kivyager deflects the proof from Sanhedrin. And again, let's turn back to our case about the surrogate mother. Which case is the surrogate mother compared to? Is it more similar to the Ben Sora and Mora? Or is it more similar to the, the train fault, the way Rabbi Kivager is presently understanding it? The Ben Sora and Mora eventually will give birth to the child. The egg mother in the case that we were discussing is not eventually going to give birth to the child. And therefore, really, you cannot compare that just simply because pregnancy determines parenthood by Ben Sora and Mora, that does not mean that pregnancy de determines parenthood by a surrogate mother case. The egg mother would not be considered the mother. Only somebody who is going to eventually, presumably, give birth would be called the mother. And therefore, let's take the other side. The egg mother is not the mother. The surrogate mother is the mother. And therefore, if the egg mother is Jewish and the surrogate mother, mother is not Jewish, the baby would be not Jewish, according to this present stage of Rabbi Kivega. Okay, total 180 turn. We've been assuming up until now, Rabbi Kivega has been assuming up until now, that if you would de decide by dint of whatever proof that the milk of a trefa is milchix, then that would equal the assumption that the egg mother is the mother. That's what we've been assuming because we've been saying that the milk would only be milchix if you follow the pregnancy. And if you follow the pregnancy, then the egg mother is the mother. So we've been assuming that if you want to make it like an equation, it would be saying that call of trefa's milk being milchix would equal the assumption that the egg mother is the mother. However, now we can turn that on its head. It's able to be flipped around. So that could unravel. Rabbi Kivager says that <clears throat> we've been saying all along that a trefa cannot conceive and then deliver that baby. It can conceive, but it can't conceive and deliver the newly conceived baby. And that's true. However, there, Rabbi Kivager says, I found, I uncovered a source in the Sefer Isravahetar, an ancient uh, older Sefer and the Isravatar says a fascinating idea. He says that a trefa, which becomes pregnant before it became a trefa, an animal developed a mortal defect, but it developed it while it was pregnant. It already became pregnant, and then only subsequent to becoming pregnant, it developed its mortal defect. That type of animal could give birth. We always assume trefa cannot give birth. That's true. The Isravatar says only when it conceived the baby after it got its mortal defect. But if it became pregnant first, and then it got its mortal defect, this Vatu says, apparently he looked into this matter, and he researched it, or he had it as a tradition, then the uh, animal could give birth. In which case, this trefa certainly can be called a mother, because it can give birth to a baby, and therefore the milk of the trefa certainly would be milchiks, because of the fact that it can give birth. There's no greater assumption, uh, this animal conceived the baby, it held the baby, it gave birth to the baby, and since it did all the steps, certainly it would be called a mother, and certainly its milk would be milchix. However, even though the milk would be considered milchix, that does not necessarily translate into the assumption that the egg mother, in the surrogate mother case, would be considered the mother. No, not at all. The milk is dairy, but the mother, but that's only because of the fact that it's able to conceive and give birth. However, if it has no way of giving birth, then perhaps you cannot call it the mother. And therefore, in that, if that would be the assumption, then you would say that the birth mother would have to be the mother. So this is 
based on new information on the idea that a trefa has a way theoretically of giving birth, therefore you would say that the birth mother would have to be the mother. And so uh, you would not follow the egg mother according to this Isavahetar. However, Rabbi Kivager switches again, flips the fourth time around. He's switching to the original side to assume that the egg mother is the mother. And he says, I found the Primagadim. Primagadim, a, uh, you know, in the seventh, Rabbi Yosef to Umim from the 1700s, he came earlier than Rabbi Kivager. He says that you can suggest that the Trefa's milk would actually be milfix, but for a different, just like Rabbi Kivager said, but for a different reason. Not because of the fact that there's a way that the Trefa is able to give birth. No, even if it can't give birth at all, even if you don't work with that assumption, there's no way that a trefa could ever birth, give birth. Primagadim says that a animal, a trefa, is able to nurse. It's able to give milk. And motherhood can be determined by the ability to nurse and give. If an animal is not able to give birth, you can still give it the name of parenthood because of the fact that it is able to nurse. That also determines what makes somebody a mother. And if that's the case, then you could say the same thing in the surrogate mother case. Even if a lady is not able to give birth, she's merely able to conceive the baby. Maybe you could give her the name mother because of the fact that she's able to nurse. A woman is able to lactate and give birth and nurse even if she didn't give birth to the baby. There are ways of artificially stimulating lactation. But then again, I would point out, and I don't think Rav Zalman Afemia points this uh, point out. I don't think Rav Heinemann mentioned this that both mothers are able to nurse. Both the egg mother and the birth mother are able to nurse. They're both able to lactate artificially. And if that's the case, then ostensibly, you would be able to call both of them the mother. And that would create a ridiculously impossible situation. I suppose with regard to uh, marriage, you could say that they're both the mother and therefore he can't marry the sister from either mother. But with regard to Jewishness, Judaism, would you consider this baby Jewish? It's an impossible thing. He's born from a Jewish mother and from a British mother. He has two mothers. It doesn't seem to be that it could be resolved. If you go with the Primagodim's assumption that the milk is milfix, not because of birth, but rather because of nursing ability, that would make it that this source proves inconclusive with regard to whether or not the surrogate mother or the egg mother is the mother to determine Yiddishkeit and Judaism. So it seems that this source is not really able to be used as a definitive sock, even though it seems that it definitely points to it. But uh, I guess it would depend on if you would pass him like the Primagodim or not. Rabbi Kivager does not definitively pass him like the Primagodim. As Rabbi Kivalevitz pointed out, Rabbi Kivager quotes the Primagodim and then says, Tzarechian. You have to look into it further, which means that he's not comfortable putting his stamp definitively to say that that's a good source. It seems like it's a debatable point. Would nursing be able to determine parenthood? That's not the conventional assumption. Conventional wisdom is that either conceiving or giving birth to the baby is the, what determines motherhood. In which case, you can either bring a proof from Ben Saramora, or you could deflect it, just to review. Or you could say that, like this of a Hector, that there is a way that a trafe was able to give birth if it became pregnant before it received its mortal defect. And therefore, since there are sudden, there are ways to go this way or that way, it would seem that perhaps this wouldn't give us a definitive proof. So as I began, I will end that I'm not here to give up sack because this does not seem definitive, but I do think that it's something worthwhile to learn, not only to further deepen our understanding of halacha and the sugya, but also to gain an appreciation for halacha, how halacha that is, is found and paskin, even though we have, develop, have developing technologies and we have new things that never existed before, but we're able to look back 
add previous cases and draw parallels, it's something that is so beautiful and so meaningful that our Torah will never be out. Zalman is due, um, and you can see Zalman Nechemi, interestingly, in his mimer, is mashmit that prima godin, and that's the reason why I was uh, looking for it. But Rav Nechemi, and, and I just want to go back just to be to make a double showing, if I could, could for a minute or two, uh, that uh, he wants to say that when you have an isha trefa, and you have today's technology, like I said before, to put it into a bar kayoma, and we know that baby can now come with a leda, even though that ebor needs the scientific process. So he wants to say, Rav Zalman, that Rav Zalman Nechemia, that even if you hold that a treifa is aimed so fully hivaleid, but maybe here, because there's a way to get that leda happen, in other words, not that you're the molid, but this baby will come with a leda, maybe this could work. And you can see over here of Zalman is clear, like what's, what's the aside that if it dies? In other words, if the pshat is that that's that when the baby is born, so right, that's Megala, that you're the mother, is that the pshat? Or maybe the pshat is, is that if the baby can't be born, and therefore, even though something was alive, growing inside, but it can't really live, it's like a nafil. So if it's a nafil, so therefore, if all you can give birth to is nephilim, if what happens with your pregnancies are that a nafil comes out of it, then we can't call you a mother, despite the fact that the process of, 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 of what be, usually begins birth is there. So Rav Zalman holds, that logically you would say that the chesaron in an uber is because it can't, birth can't happen. And that's what he says, that even according to Rick Vegas' other tzad, it's because it's eno royli voled, so you can't call that a motherhood, even though conception occurs. But he says, now that we have this process, so therefore you could say it's igli milsuramatreya, that this uber will not be a nefil, the Uber will be born if we do this. So you can see over here, Salman Nechemia seems to say that the aim, that the Uber, the, the one that conceived it, would be what? Would be Nechsheves Le'em. So Benachayim, Benachayim. To say that that type of platesis and understanding, that's that's what we need to encourage in our young Rabbanim and Paiskin. Uh, the ability not to get, again, the technical details are fascinating. But sometimes what they do is they clamp us too deeply to the facts on the ground and don't allow us to soar into the areas where the halachic answers lie. And I think that's what your shear here today, I think, is, is an indicator of how you need to have shlita, not only on the real metzias, but also about to allow the, the idea to, uh, to develop and spread and find the essence. But to be able to give it over the way you did, I think, is a raya that you can you can conceive of the idea and also bring it <laughs> through the birth canal, so to speak. <laughs> All right, yes, thank you so much. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.